Hi everyone, I'm Les. And I'm Ashley. And you're listening to Anthropotamus, where we explore some of your favorite anthropology topics. Hi everyone, welcome to our latest episode of Anthropotamus. For you, for those of you who are listening, we are doing video today. So if you want to check out our beautiful faces, we're on YouTube now. <laughs> uh, today we're here with Elena Essel from the Max Planck Institute of Evolutionary Anthropology in Germany, located in Germany. We're discussing her article, which she worked on with various other colleagues titled Ancient Human DNA Recovered from a Paleolithic Pendant. Um, some of you have may already seen many articles on this with some great photos. Thank you, Elena, for joining us on the show today. Thank you for having me and being excited about this project as well. <laughs> so before we get into the article, tell our listeners a bit about your background, what led you to pursue career in archaeology and genetics. Yeah, so I actually studied biology and I ended up in Leipzig kind of coincidentally um, and then learned about the Max Planck Institute for Evolutionary Anthropology. And I started as a student assistant here, and I was really like a lab rat helping out with um, some of the lab work, and got really fascinated by the like by the possibilities that are already there to look into our history or into human history um, using the tools of ancient DNA. And I was really yeah, mind blown by by the possibility that we can sequence Neanderthal genomes and Denisovan genomes and ancient modern human genomes. Um, and then I, I got really, I was really stuck then by, by um, the methodological advances that were possible made in, in this lab here. And I really got into methods development then and into the biochemistry behind it. And um, that's how I started at the MPI in Leipzig. So going into the article, um, so we have this pendant, you extract the DNA. So can you tell our listeners, what is the difference between destructive and non-destructive DNA analysis? Mm -hmm. So what we usually do when we work with bone or tooth samples from like fossil record is that we drill a little, like a really little uh, hole into the bone or tooth sample. So we're using a dentist drill. So um, it's usually only a few millimeters in diameter, um, but we still need to drill a little hole to collect bone material. This is destructive and um, for some samples it's just not possible to do destructive sampling and one type of samples are these um, precious artifacts we cannot do destructive sampling on them because they preserve extremely valuable information on the surface so for example experts can look into the surface structure and learn about how these artifacts were made or how they were used and so really the main goal for this project was that we preserve the surface structure and so we wanted to avoid this drilling process and so instead we um, developed a strategy where we submerge the whole sample into a buffer. We ensure that this buffer is not causing any damage to the surface structure and um, extract DNA then by the submerging and buffer instead of doing the drilling approach. So to be able to collect enough DNA, is this something that someone would have to be constantly holding or wearing for a long period of time or is it just is it possible that it just happened to be the last person to hold it and then is it possible to then identify possibly more than one person who had handled it so for the first part of your question the answer is fine answer is we don't know 
how long a person has to handle an object to um, leave enough DNA on the sample to preserve it over thousands of years. Okay. It's also a bit hard to investigate this or to do technical tests on this because the, sim or the, the simple fact that this thing is 20,000 years old, we cannot mimic. We cannot okay. like use a fresh sample and wear it for a year and <laughs> see how much we get because we cannot mimic these 20,000 years. Um, like our hypothesis though is that an object needs to be handled intensely to leave enough DNA and to allow the penetration of the DNA deeply into the into the matrix of the bone or the tooth. Um, but yeah, unsatisfyingly, we cannot tell how long how long this needs to be handled or how much direct contact uh, we need to be able to recover the DNA after thousands of years. For the second part of your question, if we are able to detect if it's more than one person who handled an object. Um, so in, in the case of the Denisovan tooth pendant that we were able to extract ancient human DNA, we actually found at least two individuals, DNA of two individuals. And it was super interesting because it was 90% coming from one individual. And this is also the DNA that we were able to look closer into and identify uh, the sex and look into the population genetics. And then we have another proportion, um, roughly 10%, um, where we don't have so much data um, and like cannot look as deep into the history or into the um, specifics of the DNA. So yes, we can. We do see that we have two different types of DNA. Um, it's a bit tricky to say it is one or two individuals. It could also be more than that, but we have at least like a minimum number of two individuals um, detected here. It's a bit hard to foresee how it will be in future samples. Um, so we hope to be able to reproduce this result. We can extract DNA also from other artifacts. Um, and I, ho I hope that we can learn about, um, or we can learn more about this um, distribution, distribution of DNA if it's coming from one or more individuals in the future. Unless you have any questions so far. Yeah. So. Um... You know, I, I uh, I'm not sure if I missed it in the article. Uh, this was recovered from. Can you can you tell me about a little bit about the site this was actually recovered from? So it's coming from Denisova Cave. It's a, a cave site located in Siberia. Um, it is mostly famous for the discovery of the Denisovans. So it's like a cousin group to the Neanderthals. It's mm -hmm. another ancient hominin group. Um, we also know that Neanderthals lived there, and we know that modern humans lived there. And more recently, um, I think it was like also pretty big um, in the media, there was um, the discovery of the first hybrid sample that we know so far. Um, so this bone um, had like a Neanderthal and uh, Denisovan component. So like the, it's like a hybrid between Neanderthal and Denisovan. Um, so it's really like a bit of a treasure trove for, for ancient DNA research. Okay. Um, so like DNA preservation is ex extraordinarily good there. It's like close to the Arctic Arctic Circle. So it's really cold, stably cold there, which is awesome for DNA preservation. Mm. And it seems to be occupied um, for quite a long time. Um, so we have many, many findings there in terms of formal remains, prominent remains and also artifacts. So you said uh, you, we found hominin remains there. Um, I'm assuming this was a dwelling and not any kind of um, uh, grave good. 
So yeah. th this would be this would be just an item that was in the in the dwelling. Was it it was not near any of the human or hominin remains? I mean, there are also hominin remains found in the same layer. Uh -huh. But in this time frame that we are looking at, um, burials are really, really rare. So okay. it's it's a bit unclear, or at least I mean, I'm not. I, I already told Ashley, I'm not an expert in anthropology. Uh, um, so I'm not sure how um, common burials would be in that time frame. But if they are common, or how to phrase this, they might be common, but they are not preserved because we are looking into 20,000 year old samples. So there's too much of um, um, degradation happening. So I'm not sure if you would be able to even identify a burial as, as such for such a long time. Yeah. Um, but in this case, like we, we don't have a burial context for this pregnant. Okay, yeah. Yeah, to answer your short, this yeah. short <laughs> sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, a little bit of context is always appreciated. Um, Gosh, I mean, so can you already explained how it works? But um, were you guys were you guys the first ones to use this um, method of uh, of sampling for the DNA to to re to extract the DNA? So the method itself was used for other applications in in ancient DNA work. It was actually developed to do pre-treatment of the bone powder that is collected with this drilling method uh -huh. um, to reduce the contamination. So this was the initial application for this method. Um, and when we then started exploring potential um, non-destructive extraction techniques for the artifacts, it was one of the um, methods we yeah, looked like closer into. And it was the only one uh, where we were able to extract DNA without causing um, damage to the surface structure of the artifacts. So you mentioned in the article that to prevent contamination, you use gloves and masks. Is this a procedure that you feel may be used um, further in uh, archaeology to prevent contamination? I mean, also there, I'm myself, I'm not an archaeologist, I'm a molecular <laughs> biologist, so, and I don't, I can't, and I don't want to tell my colleagues in archaeology, like, I don't want to tell them how to do that job. Um, so it's, it's a bit tricky, like, thinking about excavations, it's really hard to wear all this protection gear, because it's already physically challenging, it's like, in some cases, you have, like, extreme temperatures, so, it's already super warm and you don't want to wear glass all the time and face masks all the time. Um, so I think it, it's a matter of um, finding the best solution for preserving or limiting the introduction of modern contamination, but still making the work feasible for the, for the archeologists. So I think a good compromise um, could be that as soon as you start seeing during excavating that this is an artifact and this is something you would be interested in doing DNA extraction on, then putting on gloves, put it directly into a sterile bag and put it aside. Um, um, in the ideal case, of course, we would we would be super happy if people are excavating with gloves and face masks, but we do understand that this is not always possible. And um, so I think it's a case case to case decision or case to case. Um, one has to evaluate what is possible in the in the actual fieldwork. So, are there any? plans in the near future for another excavation and another testing of DNA for any possible artifacts that will be found? 
yeah also there this is nothing I can decide so we actually <laughs> reached out to like we have a number of collaborators we are closely working with um, who are actively excavating this season and reached out to our collaborators and were like hey we have this method now if you are interested in applying it to some of your samples then let us know here are the things that we recommend for excavating those those artifacts if you have something that fits this criteria get in touch with us um, and also like uh, people are now contacting us that we haven't been working with um, like expressing interest in applying the method to material that they have excavated recent, like recently or are like going back to excavations this season and um, yeah hopefully we get some more more fresh material we can apply this method to and hopefully be able to replicate this, this these results yeah that would definitely be interesting to see what else we can uh what else we can apply that to there's so many different samples and, and other uh, artifacts that we've discovered that we just never were able to uh do any kind of gna um, testing on DNA <laughs> testing on um, it's a that's exciting that's that's very it exciting. is it is and like I'm I'm especially hoping for um, like quite often the questions are actually brought to us by the archaeologists so as I said repeatedly <laughs> I'm not at all into anthropology I'm really like a hardcore methods person so <laughs> I I quite often don't even know what are like in a specific site what are Sometimes I don't even know the site. So archaeologists approach us and they come with a question. And I think this is actually a cool um, way to collaborate on those things because like, the, the expertise in anthropology is um, there from, from the team of archaeologists and we can kind of plug in some of the techniques that we developed in molecular biology to help answering questions um, or at least try to help answering questions that our collaborators and our colleagues have. And I'm kind of hoping for one of these collaborators um, reaching out, working on one of the transitional layers, where it's currently unclear if artifacts were made by Neanderthals or modern humans. So this would really be like if I can wish for for um, a set of samples that we can work on. I think this would be super super exciting um, to contribute, like some insights to to this big question that is oh, yeah. lingering around in the field for decades. Yeah. Yeah, sure. It'll definitely be nice to have some actual, you know, biology sprinkled into our anthropology. <laughs> <laughs> not that we have zero, not that we have zero. No, but, um, definitely uh, not. Definitely. A professional anthrop anthropologist is very different from a, a professional biologist. And you, you, yeah. guys, you guys have a definitely a lot to offer that we can, we can, um, well, I, I, I expect, the collaborative effort is going to yield positive results. I hope so. And I mean, it's kind of, it's a really a, um, like, how do you say, um, um, like an equal relationship. So I cannot do anything with the DNA results because like, even if it's like the most exciting results in the world, I would not understand and I could not um, like make the associations with stratigraphy and with all the other things that like, archaeologists were working on for decades on the side they know each and every artifact that was excavated there they know the chronology by heart and only then like with the combination of those two tools we can like it, this method is useful it's like this method doesn't bring anything if we don't have anthropologists to actually um, interpret the data i can only say there's ancient dna and i can say it's 
coming from female or male individual. Maybe I can tell how old it is, but that's really what I can do. That's where my expertise ends. And we really need them, the anthropologists, to, to make sense of, of what we find. Otherwise, we would be lost. Well, I don't have the context of the site to, to draw on here, but I can say that even that much data being added into it would tell anybody who's excavating it. I mean, that, that's, that's a ton of context right there. You had two individuals, male and female. Well, based on what else in the site, what else can we tell from that, right? Yeah. Super exciting, super exciting. Well, thank you, Elena, again for coming on the show with us. Uh, to our listeners, visit us at anthropotamus.com. You can purchase some of our merch. 60% of profits from our merchandise will go towards STEM scholarships. Find us on iTunes, Audible, Apple Podcasts, CastBox. We're everywhere. Uh, and until next time, bye. Thank you all for listening. Please continue to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Anthropotamus for our latest episodes, show notes, and book discussion schedule.